Our reading from the Bible this evening is from chapter 7 in the second book of Samuel, page 310. Page 310, second book of Samuel, chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great. Like the names of the greatest man on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant 
And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is it for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Joyce, thank you so much for, for reading our passage. Good evening, everyone. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you so much that we have your word. Thank you that we have it in English, that we can, in a language we understand, that we can hear you speak to us. We can hear it and, um, and we can respond to you. What a privilege it is. Father, we pray that you'd help me tonight. Pray your spirit would work through me. And we pray your spirit would enable us to uh, pay attention to your word and to receive it, and to live in, um, in light of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone else find it uh, really hard to, to watch the news at the moment? <laughs> it makes for quite depressing viewing, doesn't it? Unless it's a sports segment and you're South African. <laughs> but apart from that, it's pretty depressing. And you know things are bad when you almost forget that there's a war going on in Ukraine. Now, we could perhaps be forgiven for forgetting because it's just not on our front pages anymore. And unfortunately, as we know, that's not because there's now peace in Ukraine. We wish that were the case. That's because our news feed has become dominated by another war, the one in the Middle East, of course. And then there's also a war going on in the DRC and in Sudan. It's heartbreaking. 
It's tragic that so many people are currently suffering in our world as a result of war and violence. We long for these, these wars to end. We long for them to end soon. We all want a world where there is no war. But how close are we to that world? Ray Dalio, uh, who's, who's the founder of the biggest hedge fund in the world, has written books on geopolitics. And he recently said that he thinks there's, there's a 50% chance of a third world war in the coming years. And it's a pretty dire prediction. Now, I really hope that he's wrong, but you can see why he's concerned, can't you? For example, the situation in the Middle East could very easily escalate and spread. Now, why am I sharing all of that with you? It's not to try and make you feel depressed, I promise. It's because it's a reminder that for all the progress humanity has made, our world is still broken. We still have wars springing up. We do not have universal and lasting peace. And we live in an age where we have the United Nations and where we have the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Why do we still have wars? Where's, where's the world of peace that we all long for? The truth is, we're going to need much more than an institution like the UN or a human rights document. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not knocking those things. I'm just saying, I think we're going to need something else to bring about world peace. What is it? How are we going to bring about a war-free world, a world of peace? Answer, we can't. We can't. But friends, that doesn't mean that it's not achievable. It is. It's just not us who's going to bring it about. God is. And our passage today shows us this. It shows us how God is going to do it. How is God going to provide the peaceful world that we all long for? Here's how he's doing it. He's building a forever kingdom. He's building a forever kingdom. Let's turn now to our passage to, to see uh, this play out. So our passage begins with King David settled in his palace. The author chooses his words very carefully here when he says that the Lord had given David rest from all his enemies. And I say that because the author almost certainly wants us to think of Deuteronomy 12 when we read verses 1 and 2 here. The language is very similar. In Deuteronomy 12, we know that God was going to give his people rest when they settled in the promised land. Now, it's probably because of this rest or peace that, that David has that, that he says to Nathan that he wants to build God a house. In other words, he wants to build God a temple. And the prophet Nathan thinks that this is a good idea. Now, why might David have wanted to, to do this? In Deuteronomy 12, it says, God will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. 
Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. Deuteronomy 12 taught that God would give his people rest in the promised land. And then that there would be a, a dedicated, dedicated place within that land for God's people to offer him sacrifices. So here's what David seems to be thinking. I'm in the land and I've got rest. There's peace. I should probably build God a temple so that we can present to him offerings and sacrifices. But here's what's interesting. Look at what God says in verse 10. I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. A couple of things to point out. The first is this. When, when David decides that he'll build God a house, how does God reply? He says, actually, actually, David, I will build you a house. You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you one. But there's a difference. The house that God will build for David is not a temple, but a dynasty. That's the first thing worth noticing. God is going to build David a house, not the other way around. But the house he's building him isn't made of bricks, but of a bloodline. Who will be on Israel's throne? Descendants of David. Here's the second thing worth noticing. God says he's going to give Israel peace. Now, this does raise a question. Didn't they, have, didn't they already have peace according to verse 1? That's what verse 1 says. Clearly, there's, there's a sense in which God's people already have peace. But there's also a sense in which they, in which they don't. The peace they're currently enjoying is it's limited in some way. So there's a greater peace still to come, one that's yet to be experienced. A peace that involves God's people never, ever again being disturbed by war or violence. Now, how is that greater peace going to come? I think it's connected to God's promise to build David a house. So shortly after promising peace in verse 10, God promises David a dynasty in verse 11. So the peace that God is bringing is connected to the dynasty that God is building. The peace that God is bringing is connected to the dynasty that God is building. 
I want us now to, to notice the key feature of this dynasty. What is it? This dynasty is everlasting. The words forever get mentioned in our passage at least eight times. There's, there's clearly a unique, and this is clearly a unique and distinguishing quality of this monarchy. You see, this dynasty, it's going to last forever. This kingdom will last forever. And that is an essential quality or an essential ingredient to lasting peace. Why? Why, why is that? Think of Old Testament Israel. So they enjoyed seasons of, of peace and blessing, didn't they? But what did those, what did those seasons generally depend on? Their king. They depended, on whether, they depended on whether or not they had a good king. When they had a good king, generally, things went well. But when they had a bad king, not so much. This is why having a good king, a good king who lasts, is such a big deal. In Old Testament times, when a good king died, you would be extremely eager to know what his successor would be like. And that's because your fate largely depended on the king you had. In some ways, it might be a bit like how we're concerned about who the next government is going to be. We wonder, don't we, what are they going to do about the economy? Or what are they going to do about the NHS? Or what are they going to do about the lack of affordable housing? What are they going to do about this? What are they going to do about that? People in power obviously have a huge impact on a nation's well-being. So God's promise of a king who will allow his people to, to live in peace forever, well, this couldn't be more encouraging to them. Look at what God says to David in verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And then verse 16 your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This king is going to reign forever. And as a result, God's people are going to have peace, eternal peace. Now at this point, it's worth asking, who is this king? On the one hand, it's, it's clearly Solomon. He's David's son, and he's the one who goes on to build God a temple. Although God had, had told David that he wouldn't build him a temple, he does allow David's son to do it, as we see in verse 13. 
So it's fair to say that Solomon is the king being spoken of here. But there's also a sense in which Solomon doesn't quite fit the bill. Solomon did not reign forever. He died. And currently, folks, there is no king in Israel. So so what happened to the dynasty? It looks like it ended. Unless, unless there's a king who is of David's line, who is currently ruling. And folks, who fits that bill? Only Jesus fits that bill. In Luke's gospel, we learn that Jesus descends from David. So he's the son of David. But we also learn that he's the son of God. In verse 14 of our passage, a speaking of the forever king, God says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. The king spoken of here in 2 Samuel 7 would be known as God's son. In the New Testament, that's how Jesus describes himself, and it's who he proves himself to be. What about the the, the punishing of sins idea in verse 14. While Solomon was, was punished for his own sins, Jesus was punished for the sins of others. He was punished for the sins of his people. Jesus is the forever king who rules over a forever kingdom, a kingdom of people whose sins he suffered for, whose sins he suffered for so that they could be a part of his kingdom where peace lasts forever. Folks, we we live in such a volatile world, one where, where peace can be gone in an instant. How marvelous it is to know that there's a kingdom that we as God's people, can look forward to where peace will never, ever, ever end. Where there will be no violence, where there will be no bombs, no rockets, no shellings, no kidnappings, no mass shootings. We all want peace. And God is the one who can give it to us and who offers it to us. Are you looking forward to to experiencing this kingdom in all its glory when it comes in in its fullness when King Jesus returns? I want us to see two ways that those who belong to to God's forever kingdom respond or, or should respond to what he's doing. The first way to respond is this. Praise God for his forever kingdom. What does David do when when he hears about what God is doing? First, he's he's in awe that God would choose him, and he responds with real humility. 
he says in verse 18, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Notice how David doesn't think that he deserves God's grace. Rather, he's humbled and he's overjoyed that God would show him such kindness. And then what does he do? He bursts into praise. He says in verse 22, How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. Here's how to to respond to the everlasting peace and rest that God is giving his people in his kingdom. Praise him. Praise him. How do you find praising God? Is it something that you wish maybe you could do better? If so, why not regularly meditate on his promises? And why not make it a regular habit to to read a psalm of praise in the Bible? Psalms 145 to 150, for example, they are excellent for praising God and for giving you fuel to do that. And why not also listen to, to good Christian songs, songs which you, can, which you can sing along to, songs that get your mind and your heart focused on God. Folks, when I'm at home, I love listening to good Christian music and just singing my heart out to make sure there's no one around. I absolutely love it, and it's so good. Friends, praise God for his building of a forever kingdom. But don't only praise God for it. Also pray to him for it. Pray to God for his forever kingdom. I don't know about you, but uh, I'd have been tempted to think that praising God for his kingdom, that that would have been enough. But David doesn't stop at praise. He also prays, P-R-A-Y-S. Look at verse 25. And now, Lord God... Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Why pray for something when when God has promised to do that thing anyway? The fact that that God made a promise is precisely what gives David the boldness and courage to pray. And he says as much in verse 27. To paraphrase what he says, because you promise it, I'm confident to pray it. Because you promised it, I'm confident to pray it. Friends, if If you ever struggle to know what to pray for, here's a really good model of prayer. Pray God's promises. As I was uh, reflecting on King David's prayer earlier this week, I was struck by just how uh, similar it is to, to how King Jesus teaches us to pray. So David prays for God's kingdom to be established. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom 
come. David prayed that God's name would be great. Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. King Jesus prayed like his earthly father, David, and he prayed to his heavenly father, Yahweh. And he wants us to pray too. He teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come and for his father's name to be glorified. Brothers and sisters, think of how wonderful God's kingdom is and praise him that he's bringing it and pray for him to bring it soon. If, if you're here tonight and you're not sure if, if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom when it comes in its fullness, know that you can. Anyone who trusts in King Jesus, serving him as their king, has access to, to this wonderful peace and rest that he offers. I thought a, a fitting way for us to close our time together tonight would be to pray uh, the prayer that the Lord Jesus himself taught us to pray. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's on page 790, I think. No, no, it's, it's not. It's not. Uh, Matthew 6. 970, thank you. I said 790. 970. So page 970, Matthew 6, verse 9. Please stand if you're able. Let's pray. These words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Please be seated.